humans. Hello, hello, hello. Good Monday morning to you. Welcome to LE 2.0 and me, Ellie Krug, where I am proud to call myself a practical idealist and talk about the ways in which others are working to make the world a better place, as well as talking about how I'm trying to do that as well. And so on that theme, did you know that there is such a thing as an idealist day or that there's an organization named idealist to answer the first question yes there is such a thing called idealist day and in fact the very first idealist day happened on march 3 2018 i totally missed it how do you like that i'm not a very good idealist i guess if i missed it it happened as i said a couple of weeks ago when idealists of the world were supposed to get together and exchange like ideas um one of those ideas was proposed uh that was proposed was to play board games where you could at least get to know each other and maybe um form some alliances and and uh, for about going forward and uh, actually, idealist days are supposed to occur actually each month. It's not just a one-year one thing. It's when the chronological number of the month aligns with that day of the month. So, for example, March 3 or April 4 or May 5 or June 6. You get the idea. And so, um, yes, I totally missed the very first day. Now, Idealist Day is the brainchild of Amir Dar. He's an Israeli by birth who is a self-described social justice freak. Um, you can go to his Wikipedia page where most of this is coming from right now. Um, uh, Amir relates that as a, excuse me, and it's Ami, not Amir, Ami, A-M-I, Ami, Ami Dar, D-A-R. How do you like that, L? He relates that as a young child, of an Israeli diplomat when he was seven years old um, living with his family in Mexico City he was confronted by a young boy who asked for help um, and apparently he had never been in that kind of situation before and from that moment on he vowed that he would work to help humanity solve its own problems later when Ami served in the military he realized that the Syrian soldiers on the other side of the border that he was observing through binoculars were no actually really no different than he and his fellow soldiers he relates he relates in a piece how he watched them play soccer and they were playing soccer just the way that he that Ami and his Israeli soldiers played soccer and he could see them goofing around just like Ami and his soldiers his uh, colleagues did. I mean, he could observe all of this through binoculars. Later, Ami worked as a marketing manager for a Tel Aviv software company where he came to understand the power of electronic networking. So this would be in the late 80s, early 90s. And by the mid to late 90s, he created a database linking nonprofit websites in 100 countries, um, including the U.S. And then what he started to do was um, understand that 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 linking could link jobs for those nonprofits to people who were looking for jobs who people you know that there are people who are who are you know totally oriented towards going to the private sector and making as much money as they can possibly make it's you know we live in a capitalist society da 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 and all that's fine but there are other people who say no no I'm going to commit myself to public service I'm going to understand that I'm not going to be able to make as much money but it's going to be doing my heart good to know that I'm trying to make a difference in the world 
And so in 1996, Ami uh, named his work Action Without Borders. And um, by um, 2016, and then he launched an, an organization called, that later turned into um, Idealist. And, um, and what he started to do, as I said, was build up this database of jobs that are available on Idealist and matching humans who want to do public service kind of work. By 2016, Idealist was hoping, was hosting graduate fairs in, in major U.S. cities, and it was posting more than one million jobs. One million jobs. Um, more recently, Ami had, has announced plans to build a whole ecosystem of possibility. I'm quoting that phrase, ecosystem of possibility, with ideas to connect people um, and problems in new ways to create action. You can learn all more about this by going to idealist.org, although I will tell you the site is somewhat challenging because it is mainly a job board. But if you um, check out idealist.org or Google Idealist Days, you will get some more information about Ami um, and uh, his work. Now, there's also, believe it or not, a Facebook page for Quote, the idealist of Twin Cities, which as soon as I found, I promptly joined. I think I became member number eight or nine. So there are not many idealists that are on idealists of Twin Cities, idealists of the Twin Cities on the Facebook page. Maybe um, after listening to this, you might want to go on Facebook and become a member of the idealists of the Twin Cities. Uh, and and maybe become number 10 or 11 or 12. Maybe we could get up to number 33 or 35. You know, as I say, we don't have enough idealists. We don't talk enough about what it means to be idealist. And, um, and Ami, it's, it's just great. I mean, if you Google idealists, you know, just major idealists in the world, his name comes up. And, and frankly, there aren't a whole lot of other names that do come up. And that's, that's unfortunate, very unfortunate. Now, what um, does strike me about the Idealist website and about the work that Ami is trying to do, frankly, is that he's trying to work through technology to connect people who want to change the world. And I, you know, technology is incredibly important, um, but it has its, uh, it has its limitations. And uh, when I come back in the next segment, I will talk a, a little bit about those ha has, uh, limitations and how I think uh, the element of human connection is so incredibly important. But before I go, I want to talk um, lastly about the idea of how idealism does go across international borders. You know, as I was growing up, the only idealist I ever really fully understood was were Dr. King and Robert F. Kennedy and Eugene McCarthy, people like that that you saw on TV, but I never understood that there were idealists across the world. Frankly, I would say one that would be probably the most recognized idealist that anyone could identify would be Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela spent nearly 30 years in prison um, because of his idealism, because of, because of his beliefs about what... Um, uh, he thought that the world could be what South Africa could be. And there are, you know, there are other international idealists I, um, or people doing international idealist work. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke about Ophelia Dahl 
and the work that she was doing internationally. She she British um, and um, working to increase healthcare in in quote unquote third world countries. And so idealism is not just an American thing. It is a national, an international world thing. And I would urge you to take a look to see what other idealists you can be, you can find um, as they show up on the radar. We, and we need to speak about those people more. We need to share their work, just as I, I just shared, shared the work about uh, Amidar. Um, we need to talk about them. Remember, my goal is to get us all talking more about idealist and about the concept of idealism because unless we can label it, we, we can't wrap our arms around it. And it's very, very important that we label things um, like the idea of idealism or me calling myself practical idealist. So when we come back, I'm going to talk um, in my, my B slot um, a little bit about my work, but picking up on this idea about how technology does have its limitations. And so you've been listening to me, um, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0, a different kind of radio show, one that taps into the idealism all of us have or where, and where we long for a better, more inclusive world. That, that's, that's, and that's really what makes America great. I'd love to hear from you at Ellie 2.0 Radio. That's Ellie2.0Radio at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, visit my website, elliekrug.com. I'll be back in a minute. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. With spring here, it's time for the annual Easter Brunch Buffet at the Park Tavern. Enjoy Easter ham and slow-roasted beef, eggs benedict, biscuits and gravy, salads, fruit, side, and dessert. Seatings are from 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. on Sunday, April 1st, and reservations are recommended. $20.95 for adults, $14.95 for seniors, kids are $10.95, 5 and under are free, and don't forget the hour of free bowling with every reservation. On Louisiana Avenue, north of Highway 7 in St. Louis Park and at parktavern.net, enjoy a wonderful and easy Easter brunch with your family at the Park Tavern. Unbeatable appliance savings, then save more. At Warner Stellion's free tax rebate event. Save hundreds on the appliances you want. Warner Stellion has them all at guaranteed low prices. Get exclusive additional savings with our free tax rebate event. Then save even more with free local delivery, basic installation, and appliance recycling, all done by our trusted specialists. These exclusive offers are only available for a very limited time and only at Minnesota's appliance specialists. Warner Stellion. Spur your imagination at Stages Theatre Company with the steampunk dance-inspired musical, The Nightingale. You will be charmed by the reimagining of Hans Christian Andersen's classic fairy tale as a whirlwind of mayhem when a watchmaker's mechanical bird creates a frenzy in the Mayor's Festival of Progress. A delightfully contagious tune turns into a comical clatter as they yearn for the original Nightingale's songs of natural beauty. Enjoy the journey as the town learns to find balance between technological progress and the healing music of the real Nightingale. This world premiere musical is told through original music and is the sixth collaboration with Escalate Dance. It features ballet, tap, jazz, contemporary, and folk-centric dancing and choreography. 
The Nightingale runs March 9th to the 25th and will be loved by all ages. For ticket information, visit stagestheater.org. Tom Hartman here letting you know how you can save money with All Energy Solar. One of the myths about solar is that it's too expensive and you need lots of money down. The truth, solar is available for little or no money down. And if you have a great site for solar, you might even save money right away on a monthly basis. So don't wait to switch. You'll see your investment pay off the sooner you switch to All Energy Solar. So start saving today and visit allenergysolar.com. To AM 950 and LA 2.0, where I'm not afraid to call myself a practical idealist and where I talk about how together we can make this world a better place. And we've been talking about generally the concept of idealism. Um, and this is the part of the show where I call my B slot, where I talk about my work. I mean, after all, I mean, it, the show is LA 2.0. And it's about what I'm finding as I work to make the world a better place. And, and for those who are new to the show, um, or as a reminder to uh, people like me whose memories are not all that good, I train and speak across North America now because I'm going into Canada, talking about human inclusivity, talking about um, how we can be more welcoming to people who are quote-unquote other in our society, how we can be better allies in the workplace, all kinds of things. Um, you know, and as I just shared about Ami Dar and Idealist.org, all of that is quite wonderful, but it's tied to technology. It's tied to reading things online. And I think that, frankly, there's an element that's missing. And that is the human connection. You know, and I, I, I copy, I, I couple that idea about the need for human connection with another reality that I've discovered. And that is that meaningful change, I do not believe, will occur with commanding people to change. I do not believe that that will happen. I do not believe that we can change systems by ordering them to change. Instead, I think that we need to inspire people. I think that we need to, to get people. We need to grab them by their hearts. And we need to tell them, you can do this. You can make a difference. And I don't believe that inspiration can occur without a human connection. I mean, it is the best possible thing to have a human in your presence. Somebody that you can see, that you can hear live, that's moving around in front of you. Somebody that maybe you have the opportunity to raise your hand and ask a question of, where you can establish at least some kind of relationship on the basis of proximity. So last year, last year as I did my work, I keep track of numbers, last year as I did my work, I stood in front of a whole whopping 6,000 people throughout the year. Not a big number. I mean, it is, I don't even think I would even call that a drop of a drop of a drop in the bucket. But still, those 6,000 people could see me. They could see me as a real human. They could watch me walk around in the stage. They could listen to me as I, as I spoke. 
And they could hear my ideas. They could hear my teachings for whatever that is worth. They could hear them. And all of that was real to them because they could literally grab me if they needed to. And sometimes people do. I mean, I, people do come up to me afterwards sometimes and just ask to hug me because of the words that I shared. And I want to share two experiences that I, heard, I had earlier this month, just this month, which proves this point about the value of human connection, when, particularly when you're trying to inspire people. So one of those experiences um, occurred in New York City. Earlier this month, I was in New York to speak to a group of legal administrators. We had um, a, over 80 people in the room. And uh, during that talk, I spoke about human inclusivity. Uh, I have this talk called Gray Area Thinking, which is about general human inclusivity. I don't talk very much about being transgender, but I talk a whole lot about me and, and the people in the room being human. And people in New York, they, they appeared to be very receptive to my talk. I mean, I, I tried to make uh, some humor into it, and I had some laughing. Now, I got back from New York, um, and by the way, I loved going to New York. It is the most incredible city in the world, in my, my view. I got back from New York, and I had an email from my contact that set up the talk that, that I interfaced with to get to New York about and that contact was then forwarding me, so she emailed me, and embedded in her email was a second email from another person, from a woman. That's all I knew about that second person. There was no identifying information. I don't have that second uh, person's um, email address or anything like that. Um, but um, my contact in New York was sending this along to me because she thought that this anonymous woman's email would be of interest to me. And as, uh, and as I read the email, I've got to tell you, my, my heart got grabbed. Because the email from the second person, this anonymous person, um, was about um, having a conversation with what this woman called her very sweet and innocent 14-year-old son, who had gone to mom, you know, middle school child, middle school student who'd gone to mom saying that he was uncomfortable with seeing kids kissing in school, particularly girls kissing girls and boys kissing boys. Yes, middle school is way different um, than it was for me now, Ellie Krug, 61 years old. And the boy was uncomfortable about it and he wanted to talk with his mom about what was making him uncomfortable and God loved that mom and son that they had that kind of relationship that the son would feel that he could trust his mom. And the woman wrote in her email that, uh, quote, the timing of that question could not have been more perfect. Um, I had the best conversation with him last night using so much information we got from Ellie about tribalism and the need to identify belonging, but most importantly, talking about the four commonalities and compassion, unquote. Four commonalities is something I talk about that four humans have that humans have four distinct things in common. I won't belabor that at this point. And what this, um, what this woman then wrote was, I hope that a lot of what I said found a way into his heart and his head. Um, but it was that presentation, referring to my presentation, that helped me find the right words. I've got to tell you, 
I mean, in me reading, reading that email from this anonymous woman, it just, it, it just so touched me that the idea that my words in turn would then ripple to another human who then, then they would ripple to a third human. Um, just it's, it's the epitome. It's exactly what I'm trying to do in this world. And please understand, I'm not sharing this with you about, oh, this is Ellie Krug, the great person. I'm not looking, trust me, for aggrandizement from you, my listeners. Not at all. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really pretty good with me as a human. I, I'm not insecure. I'm, I'm, I know my work works. No, that's, I'm not sharing that, this for that reason. I'm sharing it to make a point, which is that without us having a human connection with another human it is very hard it is very hard for people to be inspired and so now i want to talk also then a second example of this okay so later you know later that week i was in mankato at another at a conference speaking to yet another 80 or so people in the room and and um i gave my talk again gray area thinking to that group um, part of that talk involves showing a video of a Buffalo, New York bus driver who saves a woman from taking her life. Uh, the woman was about to jump off of a city street in Buffalo that was above a, a very busy expressway. She was on the edge of the bridge um, beyond, on the outside of the railing, and this bus driver literally stops his bus, gets out of the bus, and goes and... Um, and, and gets the woman and, and, and gently brings her over to the other side of the railing. Then they sit down and, and the bus driver puts his arm around the woman while they're waiting for um, help. And I use that um, video to demonstrate the three elements of gray area thinking, which are awareness of human vulnerability or suffering. The second element is risk-taking to lessen or alleviate that vulnerability. And the third element is acting with compassion. Um, and And... People love that training, okay? And we, I don't need to belabor that. But I got done with that training in Mankato. And, you know, people come up to me often afterwards and, you know, want to shake my hand or say, make a comment or did you hear about this going on in the world kind of thing. And sometimes I sell my books and I was selling some books um, after that talk in Mankato. And then, and then the room was empty except for me and um, a tall man. Somebody I would say, guess in his early 40s. And that man came up to me and he said to me, he said, that woman on the bridge, he said, that was my son two years ago. Wow. He told me that, after, then he said to me that his son was transgender. And he shared about how two years ago it was so incredibly difficult for his son as well as for his family about his son, 15 years old, transitioning genders. You know, I do a great deal of trying to work with youth and it is my passion to protect, to pre protect all youth, particularly, but particularly our LGBTQ youth who face such stigma. And this man then related to me that, yes, that was two years ago, but that now his son, and his family was in much better place. And in fact, he pulled out his phone, showed me a picture of him and his 15-year-old son, and it so, um, it so touched my heart. The man 
you know, bought my book. Um, I inscribed it to his son, and in part in that inscription, I, I wrote, always live your life authentically. Gave the man the book. He gave me the money. <laughs> um, and then um, I asked if I could hug the man, and he said, of course. And as I was hugging him, I whispered to him, and I said, thank you for loving your son. I could go on and talk more about how my work is so incredibly humbling because people do come up to me and speak to me. And I could talk about how all of that nourishes my soul. But I want to stay on track. For there be real change, we need to be touched. You can't do that simply online. You can only do it by other humans in a room with you. Humans. Human-to-human -human connection. That is what inspires us. And that is how idealism works. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of only a few transgender radio hosts in the world with Ellie 2.0 on AM 950. If you've enjoyed the show, email me at Ellie 2.0. That would be Ellie2.0radio at gmail.com. Let me know what you'd like to be covered. Tell others about this show. It is brand new, relatively. I think this is show number 12, and I'm trying to build a base. Big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Thank you, Brett. You rock. See you next week. Bye-bye.